Hello, and welcome back to the Real Professional Podcast. Uh, we're here again with our series about DreadX Collection The Hunt, the fourth in the DreadX Collection series. Uh, we got a really fun one today. We got Nate Behrens, who did the launcher for this one. So uh, someone that I've been kind of working a lot more intimately with over the past uh, you know, couple months. Uh, got a lot of really interesting questions about uh, the game, his other games he's been working on. Uh, you know, just a lot of stuff. So it's going to be a fun one today. Um, a little bit more more casual because we've been really just kind of like breaking our backs on the launcher for the last, uh, it feels like, couple months. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, so we're going to try to, you know, keep it light, have some fun, but also give you some good insight into uh, the development process of uh, DreadX Collection on our end. So, uh, you know what, DJ, without further ado, why don't you go ahead and uh, drop that sick beat? Ted, and I'm here joined with Nate Barons today. Nate, how you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing all right. Um, trying to repair my broken back, as you said. Um, <laughs> uh, and you know, else? the healing process is beginning. Yeah, yeah, I I feel that. I, I think it'll probably take <laughs> me a couple months to heal after this. It's been a it's been a big one this time. Uh, we're mm -hmm. also, of course, joined by uh, Starlight Skies. Star, say hi. Hello. Uh, Jesse Groban. Hey. And David Shemansky. Hello. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, speaking of, like you were saying, breaking our backs over this launcher, uh, Nate, why don't you go ahead and uh, kind of uh, let us know what, what people are going to be in store for from the launcher. Okay, yeah. So, um, you know, with the hunt, um, one of the, like, literally the first thing, you know, the first direction I got was it's going to be an Arctic base. And that that thrilled me, actually, because I remember, like, idly just kind of thinking, like, oh, if I were to make a, you know, like, where would I set the next launchers but and i was like i would do an arctic base literally i had had that thought before you ever reached out um so i was i was like yeah let's do this um so yeah it's an arctic base um we're continuing the story from uh well all the previous collections though um in a slightly different direction or from a slightly different perspective um and it's i think Compared to even the previous launcher, maybe a little bit bigger and a little bit more of its own game. Um, so there'll be, you know, there's there's puzzles to solve. It's, uh, there's some there's some good spooks. And yeah, I will say this it, one does it, feel the most of its own game. Yeah, uh, we put a lot of work into making sure you feel cold while you're playing it. So you're welcome. <laughs> so uh, funny too, because like it's kind of like I'm the host, but I'm also like I also helped make it, so I'm like asking questions mm -hmm. I already know the answer to. <laughs> so right. I was like, I was like, what are players in store for from the launcher? And you're like, well, Ted, don't you can't, can't you inform the players? <laughs> <laughs> well, Ted, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Little, little I bit mean, of radio hey, magic there. Yeah, I was like, Conan O'Brien has rehearsed every single question he asked before he asked it, so. Yeah, I'm just as good as Conan O'Brien. Thanks. Yeah, no, that's that's an important thing for the for the audience to know is that I'm basically the same level of quality as Conan O'Brien. <laughs> I mean, I could have said Jay Leno. Oh, Jesus Christ! You know, there's a reason that we pay you, and it's because you compare me to Conan, not Leno. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's so funny is like I've never seen a humor die faster. 
than that style of like talk show hosts from the eighties boomer humor. I mean, it lasted a while. If you're talking about like it dropping off a cliff, yeah, because it, it like persisted for decades, and then it just like suddenly we all I think like we hit like I don't know twenty or something. We're just like no. Well, like, okay, so you you watch old Richard Pryor, still hilarious. You watch mm-hmm. old, um, you can even watch old Abbott on Costello from, like, the 40s and 50s, and it's still Oh, hell yeah, a lot of that stuff holds up. And yeah, you can read, like, you know, comedic books from, like, the, 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 the 1800s. Ted's audio disconnected on our end. And as soon as you get over, like, the linguistical yeah. differences, you're like, those are pretty funny. But then you hear Jay yeah. Leno being like... I lost Ted. Then you, you, then you uh, say, like... You, well, then oh, you, I'll, I'll continue it. You can read comedic books from uh, 1600 BC. It's so funny. <laughs> I mean, legitimately, about. you know, you, like in college, you know, we had this like real highfalutin class that was called Great Books. And we had to go back and, you know, it started with like um, the Iliad and the Odyssey and then went through like, you know, Greek Shakespeare. I yeah, eventually. Um, That's so funny. Got, it got into like Greek, uh, Greek comedy and, and everything, and like that stuff holds up. It's still pretty funny. So, like, uh, yeah, there's this like, <laughs> ancient graffiti that this guy like wrote in a, like a in like a brothel, being mm-hmm. like I nutted here or something like that. And I still yeah. like that. That's <laughs> yeah. And for some reason, in my brain, that mixes with Pompeii. I'm not sure if this is real or not, so don't quote Pompeii. me. No, there's yeah, is there's it? there's okay. Pompeii. Well, there's a guy that they think was like petrified while cranking it. Yeah. I, don't know. I, yeah, think, I think he was just like burning alive and his hand like ended up on his crotch. Right. Like he wasn't like Armageddon is happening to him and he's like, God, I better crank one out real quick <laughs> before I, mean, I beat, before I beat uh, uh, Charon. I gotta get, I have some unfinished business. I mean, this is this is humanity we're talking about. I would totally believe that at least one person in Pompeii, Pompeii was just like, I'm about to die, but I want to jack off one last time. I think you guys aren't even realizing that probably people back then were more similar to us than we believe. He probably oh, yeah. didn't oh, yeah. believe the volcano was real. He was probably we like, are... there's no volcano. Fuck that. Like, you know what? Volcanoes, like, what? The ash is <laughs> volcano going to the last time. I've lit a fire. Ash doesn't kill me. Whatever. And he's like, I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm just going to jerk off. And then, boom, forever. Jerked off. Like... The ashes are, like, flying towards him, and he's like, uh, you know, great green screen, guys. Well, they felt the heat long before they saw the ash. Yeah. Yeah, and he was probably just thinking it it's a bomb Yeah. I, I, I had a friend call me and be like, do you really believe that, like, this many people have died of COVID? And I'm like, oh, no. Like, oh, my like God. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, you know, when I, I said to him, I was like, you know, uh, I, I just don't like to turn someone's tragedy into my hobby that's actually a line from rescue me the, the, the movie the show about firefighters oh yeah, yeah yeah great show but uh basically one of them becomes a 9-11 truther the the old school truthers and um so the once and one lady's like look I, I don't really care if you have questions or whatever but like just don't turn my tragedy into your hobby because her husband died in 9-11 so it's like oh, that's right. a good point um but the point i was making is that jay leno isn't funny <laughs> that we can I absolutely agree on yeah well it's like so i think part of there is a conspiracy theory that jay leno was funny and i don't know like it's <laughs> wild to me um you know part of the reason for that might be because um like stuff stuff ages in sort of a circle where mm-hmm. like you know um movies from the 80s 
are like like bad movies from the 80s are you can watch them now and they're fun but like bad movies from like i don't know 2015 most people are like that's too that's just like the transformers films it's just like those are terrible they're not you know but like in 20 years those are probably going to be looked at the same way we look at you know like schwarzenegger films right it's like like kind of fun fun bad yeah and i think that i think that the like boomer sensibilities are in that awkward period of being old enough that they're like outdated but not old enough to be retro yet right so it's just like like it's just awkward <laughs> we're not allowed to like it because our parents liked it so we have to not <laughs> yeah. right and i do think that horror is a little bit different in that like i think you can watch a bad horror movie that came out last week and still have a grand old time yeah you i do. mean that was probably a bad example a better example would be something that's like out of vogue now because it's because it's old like i don't mm. know fashion's probably a good example but i know absolutely nothing about fashion <laughs> but like <laughs> you know something enough, where yeah. it's like this is old and outdated but it's not old enough now to be retro and cool i you think did, at the, yeah. at, you reach a certain age where it's like old things are cool because they're old but right. you know there's that awkward period in between where they're just like old things and it's very awkward for everybody yeah, we haven't gotten to the point where the '90s fashion is cool again yet, with the like the leather dusters and stuff. But the '80s is cool again. And I think, I think early '90s, 90s early '90s is kind of cool. I think it but is. I think late for, '90s, we're not into the, yeah. like where everything was in Matrix influenced. We're not in the back there yet. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. think we should go back to uh, early 2000s and uh, dragon think, t-shirts. And, yeah, I think to the 2000s, especially for. Um, like Disney Channel, like, where it's cinema, like, well, I was, yeah, that's yeah, that's true. I was thinking more of like how about cinema, a, a where it's ballerina like, tutu with like uh, boot cut jeans and I'm like, holding a on to my jeans because they're coming back. Yeah. You're talking about like Even Stevens and Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Back when yeah. fashion was about being like making kids on the Disney Channel like look as like ridiculous as possible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also think that um like in yeah. I don't even know how many years time we're going to get to a point where like like some somebody somebody keep this for posterity. Keep this podcast somewhere. No, we and in like right after we record 20 them. years go back and see <laughs> if see like for me check to see what the um what the 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 discussion around the Resident Evil films is. <laughs> Like seriously, uh, those misunderstood classics. Yeah, I'm, no, really I'm. Fun. I am convinced that in I don't know twenty, fifteen, twenty years time, those are going to be remembered as like the same thing, like 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 uh, the same way we remember like Commando and Seagal films now. Yeah, do, yeah. do people not like the Resident Evil movies? I thought that they were surprisingly wildly, not. Yeah. I think they're tons of fun, but I also recognize that they are basically the stupidest thing ever made yeah. but that's why i enjoy I them. think yeah <coughs> all of my, I, all know, of my I, associates I, oh, sorry go ahead i was gonna say i enjoyed the first one a lot and then i like fell off because not because i think they're they got exceedingly bad or anything but, but because like um it was pretty clear they became like just paul w sanderson's like vanity projects just like i think yeah. my work is hot let me show her off um and yeah, I mean, Milojovic's Mil- Mil- awesome. vanity project as well, right? And um, but revisiting them as that, they're great. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, I, I love the second gorgeous. one. The second one is like the most hilarious one. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's yeah. basically a comedy. I'm to- yeah, I'm totally okay with all of that. You know what? Bring back the camp. Let's yeah. celebrate. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, too many gritty, serious movies. I get bored. Paul Douglas <laughs> Anderson has turned his wife being hot into a career, and that's fine. I mean, they seem to have that fun is doing the it American together. dream. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> like, like if I was married. Yeah, like how long have they been married? I don't know, like twenty uh, years. I'm not sure. It's been a while. It's been a while. But can, I like. Can you imagine a like a better career path than it being like I make a ton of want- money because I married a super hot woman? That's a great like, way to live your life. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, um, they've only been married for like eleven years. They actually weren't married when they first started shooting Resi. Oh no, they Resident. met in two thousand two. Um. And then they were oh, engaged around on and off time, right? for four years, and they became a couple again in 2007. That means they made, like, three Resident Evil movies together while in, like, a hot and cold relationship. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That, well, that you is... Know, it, it's, 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 you know, it's... Filmmaking is not conducive for, you know, just relationships. It's, uh, it's an intense field. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it worked out better for him than, uh, it worked out better for him than the Underworld dude. He also married the director oh, of yeah. uh, Fifth Element that she also starred in. So. Really? Oh, she. Wait, she was married to Luke Besson? Yeah. What? Said, <laughs> How did I not know that? Go wiki, wiki it. That's great, huh? So yeah, I didn't know that, but I don't. I don't actually know much about Luke Besson. Fair. That yeah, except that right. he's made some really good movies and some not so good movies. <laughs> At this point, got, I think the not so good ones outweigh. I think the Fifth Element was an accident. Like I don't. I don't well, what about the professional good. though? The right, professional is great. Yeah, yeah. The professional is 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 really really good. Very little of that movie is good because of his directing. It's directed in a very standard format, but the acting, oh, okay. the acting is really good. At, like, um, mm-hmm. who plays uh, um, Jean Reno oh. as yeah. Leon? Yeah. Fantastic performance. And um, Natalie Portman is like, you know, that was her breakout role. Yeah. Well, fantastic mm-hmm. in the movie. Then Gary Oldman as the bad guy is, he is like Gary transcendent Oldman. in that movie. He's incredibly good. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, unfortunately, script? like. Was it, okay. or was it someone else? I don't know. Oh, it probably, I mean, it was written by, oh, it was written by him. So I mean, okay. maybe, maybe but that the was. The fifth element was him too. He had written, he had like held on to the fifth element, like as an idea since he was like a teenager or something. Yeah. Uh, which kind of shows, but I love it. Mm. <laughs> I generally, I mean, you're not wrong, Ted. It's it, the acting is definitely what carries that film. Yeah, because um, it's all across the board fantastic. Even like you know, uh, relatively minor characters like her, her dad, like her scumball dad, are like very well acted. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a it's a the thing is is that most directors usually have like one or two good ideas in them. It's whether or not they can see them visualized. And I think mm-hmm. that the professional is probably like you know the the script that he was sitting on for a long time, really wanting to get made, and then finally was able to. If I was, I mean, I, that's kind of what I'd imagine. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, it's just, it's kind of like who's that who's that guy who made Equilibrium? Oh, God. I forget the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I forget his name, but he—it's like that's—that was his one movie that people that's like, it. and not even that many people like it. But it's like a—it's like a cult classic. I kind of love that movie. That's like, the funny it's, thing I love is that, that movie. You keep telling it's me about really all these stupid. People, you, you keep saying that like people don't like Resident Evil or they don't like Equilibrium, 
And I'm like, uh-huh. everyone that I know likes those movies, but I guess I just surround myself with good people. I'm thinking mostly, <laughs> well, okay, so Resident Evil films are reviled by a lot of uh, gamers because they're they're uh, not true to the, you know, they're not true to the games at all. Right, right. Um, and also they're, you know, critically panned, and so is Equilibrium, but critics are kind of dumb yeah. sometimes. As, I don't as know, a I think Equilibrium myself, is not the there's so I mean, at least for me, I definitely had a phase in I want to say high school and certainly college where like I studied film where it was like super important to me to project that I was extremely like smart and cultured, right? Yes, you know, to, and, and so yeah, everyone I think everyone has it. Yeah, um, I've grown out of it, uh, but you know, thankfully, um, but for sure there was a period where I would have been like. <laughs> That's beneath me. I'm too busy watching Tarkovsky. Yes, um, Tarkovsky. Oh my God. Still love Tarkovsky. Yeah. Docker's one of my favorite movies, and not just because of the game. Like that shit's great. Um, but okay. sometimes you just also want to watch Milojovic kick a zombie dog. Exactly. Yeah. Or like shoot, shoot like uh, shotgun shells made of quarters for absolutely no reason except that it's a cool visual. Yeah. I mean, and, and you have no idea the, uh, uh, the, the, like the, the swamp you just, you just walked into Nate. Cause, uh, I, I had this very long discussion with someone, uh, the other night after watching, uh, the Snyder cut and she was saying, uh, that, well, she was saying that yeah. like, she's like, whatever. I mean, it's like, and I was like, no, no, this is like a super interesting movie. It was like four hours mm-hmm. long and the pace, it kept pace. And it, has anyone, has anyone else seen the Snyder cut yet? Not yet. No, I, um, I was gonna wait until. Yeah, I'm gonna like do a big old Discord party, and watch it with some friends. Zach, um, I don't like. I like Resident Evil movies. I don't like any Zack Snyder movies. Right. No. I. I, I let me clarify. Yeah. Like, I think Batman versus. Like, I rewatched Batman versus Superman recently to see if I was like, was I too tough on that? Nope. <laughs> Is it real bad? Oh, it's oh god. Maybe it was worse this time. I don't know. Um, I've, I've heard uh, I've heard interpretations like where people think it's good. Like I, I think it's uh, good. Uh, like how um, like Superman doing nine uh, eleven one hundred times in an afternoon uh, with yeah. General Zod and Superman movie uh, literally drives Batman to insanity. Like he's so <laughs> insanely traumatized that he's like. I have to kill Superman. Like, and and there's there's a story there that could be done, right? You could you could take that angle, and I'm I know there, you know, I'm sure there are like a million comic books, you know, or like you know series that have gone that direction and done it, you know. Yeah. But um, what if a superhero was bad? Yeah, I feel like I feel like Snyder can't decide. (laughs) I feel like he can't decide if he hates or loves these like his characters. That's, no, he loves them. I, so he I, wants to smooch him on the lips. Yeah, I, I actually like Snyder films. Um, I know that a lot of people don't like Sucker Punch for uh, toxic masculinity and whatnot. Mm. Um, I'm not really going to sit here and defend Sucker Punch of all of his films. Um, I don't hate Sucker Punch, but whatever. Um, it's fine if you just when you watch the... When have you watched it last? Sucker Ted? Punch? Yeah. Probably 15 years ago. Okay, well, why don't you rewatch it now in your thirty-one-year-old head? Or- I mean, I, I, that's the thing is that like I don't, I don't really like. I, I probably will star just because everyone like keeps saying like, you know, different things about the movie. But I like for me, it's it's like I, I the, the the one film that a guy made that people don't like doesn't like make his entire filmography for me. And I've seen all of his other stuff like relatively recently. Um, and I'm not trying to say I love Sucker Punch. I'm just saying that like. 
I don't have the same visceral reaction to it that I think a lot of other people do. I uh, think his movies are boring. Like, I, I think they're visually, he has some interesting ideas, but like how he strings them together is a mess. Yeah, and I mean, that's fair. I, I literally fall asleep. Same with the, um, Ah, with the big machine movie. <laughs> like, Transformers. I fell asleep. I watched a movie twice in theaters and I fell asleep both times. I was like, what the? Yeah. I would rather, start, I would much uh, rather watch a Spider movie than a, than a, than a Transformers. The no, Transformers no. with uh, the giant uh, robot dinosaurs. That's the only movie that I've ever like walked out of the theater. Where I was so like. <laughs> I, I've seen and... Dark of the Moon. That's the only one. And it was abysmal. I've only and seen I like Transformers that movie, so. 5. <laughs> I didn't see the rest of them. I only saw the fifth, and I had no idea. Dang, that's because you on. didn't see the lead-up. You you walked in without the context. Yeah, you weren't okay. That's why I watched <laughs> Harry Potter. I saw the first one, the third one, like, five times so, somehow, and then the second is part the of the last one. the only good Harry Potter movie. All right. heard. Terrible. Let me, let me slide in here with what I originally brought up Zack Snyder, because I did have a point. Um, okay. Which is that, uh, what I think is interesting about it is that, like, Zack Snyder, to me, is one of those directors that, like, he constantly tries to come out with these, like, four-hour epics, right? And he keeps, like, you know, obviously the studio's like, no, you can't do that, because we need to put this in movie theaters, and no movie theater's gonna run your four-hour bullshit film. And, um... Like, and so they keep cutting his films down, and they keep getting poorly reviewed, and then he keeps releasing Blu-rays of Watchmen, Batman v Superman, Man of Steel, and now is the Snyder Cut where he releases the four-hour version, or the three-and-a-half-hour version, or the 17-hour version, or whatever the fuck, it was his original vision, and it gets way better reviews, and everyone likes it, and then everyone goes, well, why wasn't this the one in the theaters? And now that theaters are finally dead, thank you, Corona, for killing the last of the, of the tyranny of theaters, we might actually see films come out that are, like, longer and more and more detailed like four-hour epics and that are maybe they're broken down into like two parts or something but they they have those those are called tv shows right exactly (laughs) well that's what i'm saying that's what the point i'm making is that we're seeing the the blending of tv and film in ways that we never saw before we saw this earlier with uh you know shows like the walking dead and i don't want to use the walking dead as an example because i think it's a bit of a dated example now but you know we saw we're seeing this era where tv is becoming just as good as film in terms of production value acting things like that i mean it used to be the case that tv was like if you're a tv actor then your career is dead you're never going to make it in film like it's that's the, the last stop but um you know now we're seeing it be the case that like actors are choosing to do shows instead of movies because they can like extend the characters out longer um like M. Night Shyamalan got his comeback with Wayward Pines, which was a TV show, after, you know, he Shyamalaned out super hard. Um, and, and so I think that the funny thing oh, about no. the Snyder Cut is it might have more of an impact on the trajectory of film than the Avengers did. And because of studios now being more willing to release four-hour cuts on streaming services rather than relying on theaters... So, and that's that's fascinating to me. And um, I also okay. thought it was cool uh, when when the Superman punched the the Steppenwolf monster. I mean, <laughs> you, I mean, here's the thing though. I have been a big fan of comic books my whole life, and I hate his themes and his movies. I hate his. It's just so for dudes, you know. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired of seeing the same kind of stories told the same way from the same perspective for yeah. years now. I'm I, I, yeah, too, and he does he he's not creative I mean, you that's, know that, that's, like talking to the same person having the same conversation yeah that's fair I mean I'm not I'm not trying to yeah, that person messaging his films. yeah 
Like, and I, I, I think that you're, you're totally like not, I mean, I, I would never say that you're incorrect for not liking Zack Snyder films. Like, I'm not gonna, it's like people that like, don't like Michael Bay. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, even though I enjoy it, like, I'm not gonna like sit here and tell anyone else they have to enjoy it. I just find it interesting that, you know, Zack Snyder might be the most important filmmaker of our generation. Oh my God. Ironically, ironically, both Snyder and Bay are the are the two the two uh, the two guys who basically helped prop up the Detroit film scene for a while, like or industry for a, for as long as they it lasted. Uh, so actually, like most of the Transformers and uh, a lot of Zack Snyder's like DC stuff was shot in Detroit. Well, uh, here's a fun fact: Did you know he did the Snyder cut for free, and he's donating all the profits to suicide prevention? Oh really? Uh, yeah. I thought you were going to say the Suicide awesome. Squad. No, no. I mean, his daughter. The reason that, that he is... never finished the original cut is because his daughter killed himself during the production. Right, right. And so, oh. uh, 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 who's the guy that came in to finish Josh it? Josh Whedon. Whedon. Josh Whedon came in to finish it, and Snyder was like, "What the fuck?" Like he was just supposed to come in and shoot the intro and the ending, and then he, they redid the whole fucking film, and like, what the hell? And so when he finally had the chance to like fix it, he's like, "Look." I don't, I don't care. Like this, this, this film has too many, it's too inextricably linked to that painful time of my life. I'm not going to do it for money. I just really care about getting this story, which is funny. Cause like, as much as it is like a dude bro movie where dude bros talk about dude bro stuff, he seems to like genuinely care about that. Like it's, and, and then he's like donating it all suicide prevention. And honestly, yeah. I can't, I can't knock that. Yeah. No, I, I've never gotten the same. Like those guys, the same like five guys, have had the same chances to make the same movies over and over again. <laughs> it's like we need like new people with new ideas because all these guys are so similar to each other, even though they ha- they have micro differences from J.J. Abrams to Snyder to Whedon. Like right, like mm-hmm. <laughs> there has to be more people in Hollywood than just these five dudes. You know what? And this is actually David goes Lynch. back to my original point, which is that you know what Nick was saying about. Uh, studying film in college because there's a certain type of ethos of like film studies that you experience when you're like younger and trying to be cool and different you know um and i and don't get me wrong i did the exact same thing where i was like i think it's still on my facebook that my favorite movies are like the seven samurai and 400 blows but like in japanese <laughs> and french like because i'm right. like that guy you know um, right, like right. francois Truffaut, the true cinematic master but this is the thing is that like i think that but at the same time, that opinion of I like these films, when especially when you're in college, generally comes at the expense of mainstream films. Where you're like, well, I won't watch any of the, the big budget films because why would I? That's that's they're, they're not indie art films. And I think that it's a disservice to like future filmmakers, because I think that if more people studied like the like, I think that there is a legitimate filmmaking technique in being able to make a four hour movie that doesn't drag. And if that was applied to more interesting concepts uh, with, with, with filmmakers that didn't fall into this uh, 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 archetype of what we expect of the dude bro director, then we can see some really, really like interesting films made in that style. And I think that we've seen that a few times. I mean, and Theron, uh, I mean, Bollywood is a great example because Bollywood is almost completely outside of the, the Hollywood um, infrastructure. And there was that in Theron movie about the, the Android robot that could like, has anyone else seen this movie? Yes. No. Yes. Oh, I love that movie. It's like six hours long or something. It's like ridiculous. And it's great. And it did super well in uh, in uh, in India. And um, God, that movie's fucking weird. But <laughs> it's it's fun. And, um, Is that the one where he like makes a bunch of clones of himself that turn yeah. into a snake? Basically, I've seen... A, yeah. 
I've seen that clip, and it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Yeah, it's it's not a bad movie. Um, it's really silly, but it's not a bad movie. But the thing is, is that the director of Intheron, like, basically learned how to make that movie by watching Hollywood blockbusters and being like, okay, how do I put my action beats in this film to keep general audiences entertained while I explore these other concepts? Um, and, you know, that was a voice that, you know, is not your typical Zack Snyder douche white bro. And uh, I just think that, you know, I'm not at all saying that we shouldn't study, you know, the, the Odessa step sequence for the Battleship Potemkin, like every kid in films. And, oh God, never again. Yeah. Um, but I, I also think that there's like a legitimate value in studying Avengers Endgame, you know, and being like, how did they extend this Avengers universe into this like, t- like 20 film franchise that all kind of fits together. And, and the thing is though, is that oh, yeah, like colleges, is good, so. colleges don't, and, I, and this is something I feel is similar to games. And this is actually something that Star talks about all the time is that, um, games are, there's, there's, there's a certain like indie ethos of people making games for other game makers, you know? And mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times indie film is made for other film majors rather than general audiences. And I think you can learn more from studying. Well, I think you can learn an equal amount from studying both. But I do think that, especially in academia, there's a tendency to not study the mainstream stuff because duh, it's is so basic. And um, I would yeah. I would posit that superhero films are dumb and we shouldn't watch them. <laughs> David's taking it to the other direction saying we should reform society to fit his standards (laughs) I have not seen like any of the new superheroes like I saw the first Avengers movie and the Deadpool movies and then I haven't seen like anything Hi, my name is David Szymanski. I don't like these movies, therefore they're bad. Yes. <laughs> anything I do not like is bad, and everything I do like is good. Glad we can agree on this. Well, I think it's just funny because. Sorry, go ahead. Film. Sorry, I'm just making fun of you, David. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with. I mean, David, you're living. I, 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 I think everything. I'm, I'm on board with everything you're saying, except Zack Snyder. Like so. I the thing I like about Snyder movies is that he he as dumb as his ideas are <laughs> as like 14-year-old boy as his ideas are he's very like unrelenting with them and that's like there's something kind of interesting about that but at the same time the ideas themselves are not interesting <laughs> to me it's like it's interesting to watch someone like I want to see Justice League not because I think it'll be a good movie I'm interested to see Justice League because I do kind of want to see him with the gloves off you know, and it's funny because the Snyder, the Snyder cut, actually, it's it's so funny that you 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 know, Zack Snyder did it because there's like so many less gratuitous ass shots in the Snyder cut than we're in the the Whedon cut. Like it's actually like oh sure yeah no I'm not characters of like which is funny <laughs> because you wouldn't expect Whedon's that. a scumbag so right. yeah <laughs> yeah I guess Whedon's a bad example of the person to be like look so Snyder's more progressive than this guy. It's it to me no Snyder I mean for sure Snyder like one of his next projects literally I think the Fountainhead like he's he wears his influences on his sleeve right um but um but like what was I gonna say with the um to me the the it's not even that like it's not that Snyder is like not super progressive or that this or that it's more that like he thinks you know if I just pose this scene like it looks like a renaissance image it's important and also you know <laughs> oh, like yeah. 
whether you have two hours or four hours of Jeremy Irons like solemnly going talking about false gods in your superhero movie, like doesn't it's still bad. Remember the part in 300 where the kid gets his head cut off and he's standing like a Greek statue as it falls from his shoulders? And he thought that 300 was rules because 300 knows exactly what it is. It is. Like, oh, yeah. I uh, disagree. <laughs> well, that's, um, and that's I funny think it too. has, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I think it has no idea. Like, I don't, I don't know how quite to put this. Uh, Spartans aren't, aren't the good guys. Oh yeah, no, I know. That's see, I guess that's kind of what I'm. So I, I'll retract my earlier statement about whether Snyder hates or, or loves his characters. Because you're right, he does love them. He also just loves sociopaths, and that's not cool. Like that's kind of like he does. He wants to examine them, but he doesn't want to examine them like the way like Martin Scorsese says he examines them. Like you know, um, I, don't I don't know. know. I don't. I don't. I don't feel as comfortable insulting Snyder, knowing him his personal life. Like he has eight kids; half of them are adopted. And he donates so much money to like suicide prevention, and he like clearly cares. That's fine. Yeah, that's awesome. that's, so that's I don't like, think he's a, I don't think he's necessarily a bad person. That like, yeah, you know, I, I think I think I, that he he idealizes the ideas of super people. Like you know, in all of his movies, everyone's like super attractive. Yeah. Like three hundred is like, right? Yeah, like not an ounce of fat on those chiseled abs. Like I think the, like the flip side. Super people. Oh, okay. Yeah. This. That's that's what the problem. And then Joss Whedon was hired to make the make humans more attractive or better um which is why the, the lowest lane like superman like relationship it has no chemistry and it falls yeah. flat because he doesn't understand like why superman would be into lowest lane like yeah. uh, well, at least at least fucking Zack snyder didn't cut the black character out of this goddamn movie like joss whedon did because like if right. you watch yeah. I, I honestly feel like half of my reason that i like the snyder cut more than the uh original cut is because cyborg is an actual character yes. i mean yeah. I, I i've heard that consistently that like that part's actually really solid no matter what you think of the rest of the movie that like the cyborg storylines yeah i just i don't like which is interesting because i've never given more than 10 seconds of thought to cyborg and i watched the original C- cyborg is an amazing character in the snyder cut because he manages to be a black superhero without ever having like not once in the movie does he like stand up to a cop and go are you shooting me because i'm a cyborg or because i'm black right. which is like a line in every other fucking movie about you know that you can rarely have a minority superhero without them being defined by them being a minority and cyborg wasn't he was just a guy that turned into a cyborg and it's like you know i where where is our gay action hero where's our gay john wick right no you don't have one if you're going to be a gay character you have to be like obsessed with oh my parents don't love me because i'm gay or something like that like you always have to charlie theron's out there trying to make that happen though (laughs) you've heard about that right charlie theron's out there trying to make that happen no i didn't know that yeah she's like I think someone, I think it started almost as like a joke. Uh, someone like pushed the idea to her of like, what if we had like lesbian diehard with Charlize Theron and like someone, you know, and then she's like, no, I, okay, no, I'm seriously into that. I want to make that movie. Let's do that. Wasn't that what Atomic Blonde was basically? Also she that, yeah. Bi. She was buying Atomic Blonde. Okay. I never saw it. I, yeah, I that's should see the, that at some point. It's, it's a good that's movie. where the phrase bisexual lighting came from. It's a good, it's a good, um, it's a good movie. The, the, the pink, the pink and blue, like, uh, kind of two-tone lighting that you see in a lot, like, that's been coined bisexual lighting, and it came from, I think, Atomic Blonde. <laughs> oh. Yeah. No, I mean, I just, I, I, I think that, especially, like, you know, just having this conversation here now, I think that you can, there's, the, the, the questions that we're asking are rather big questions of, like, how to portray certain, certain people, etc. And, like, 
as much as you can still have those conversations with indie films, you're having them with like five people like in the title total world. I think that like Zack Snyder has probably done more. Uh, I don't want to make any broad statements, but I think that like the average dude bro that their their experience to culture, their exposure to culture is like j- the Justice League and the Avengers is probably going to get more from the neutral uh, depictions of like race and gender that Zack Snyder puts forward than, you know, some art house film that they never see. And I think that culture is usually like, you know, you got to push first in the, in the small group and then you can do the larger societal push. And I, I, I I am not going to sit here and say that like Zack Snyder is more important than the thousands of gay and lesbian or LGBTQ filmmakers out there that have, you know, pushed the line over the years. There's no way I'm going to say that, but I'm saying is that it's part of a continuum. And, you know, you, and the, the point where the mainstream starts doing things with these characters, I think is, is the point where, uh, I don't know. I don't want to make any bright lines, but it is an interesting, it is an interesting transference. You know, it's like, you know, I asked my, my grandfather, I was like, did you ever think you'd live to see gay marriage legal? He's like, I never thought I'd live to see interracial marriage legal. Like, like the culture has changed so much in the last hundred years, and that is a very good thing. And, and 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 I don't think we should discredit anyone along that line of Christian culture as long as they're pushing it towards the good. And you know, because you know, we always have to remember that there are still people that are trying to push it back. As long as someone's not trying to push it back, they're good. My book. Sorry, I I, I want to say this, David Szymanski. I think you should watch Spider Man Homecoming. Yeah, everyone keeps saying that. Yes. No, I I told you I I basically have seen no superhero movies. I'm just I just really don't have an interest in them. I think you should watch uh, Man with the Iron Fist, starring the RZA. That one I definitely (laughs) yes. I've I've been eyeing that up for years, being like, should I watch this? Unironically, one of my favorite movies. It Um, looks pretty like hilariously not good, but like. I, don't know. Uh, I, I was saying it as a joke, but now, now you got me talking about it. So the RZA, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm sure you know that the Wu Tang Clan, like their thing, is old kung fu movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the RZA one day was like, "Hey, I'm very uh, rich. What if I made a, a movie, uh, an old kung fu, movie, starring me, directed by me, written by me, with music by me and my cool rapper friends?" And he did yes, it. And that he's, amazing. <laughs> yeah, and it's got like Lucy Liu, Dave Bautista, uh, uh, Gerard Butler in it. Um, and he's such a bad actor, but he, he's <laughs> he's so passionate, and he's having like he's he's living his dream, and I I love it, and it's extremely funny. I should. It's about a guy with iron fists. <laughs> okay. And then there was sorry. a sequel, wasn't there? I'm not watching that. I'm not ruining the pristine experience of seeing. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but I actually started on this on Spider-Man: Homecoming, but I'm curious why uh, why you singled in on this one. Uh, just because I think it's way better. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm 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 basically I'm, I'm doing a bit when I'm like all superhero films are bad. I like I know they're probably most of them are quite good. It's just I'm not that. Yeah, interested I think. In them. Marvel, even if you're not a huge fan, like I, I didn't grow up reading really any comics. Um, 
I have seen, I want to say pretty much every Marvel movie. There may have been like one that snuck past or something. Um, not because, and I'm not like some diehard fan, like where it's like, oh God, I can't wait. But they are, they've done something remarkable in making stuff consistently pretty good. Yeah. Like the worst, the worst Marvel movies are like watchable. And the best ones are really good. Are you, yeah. are you, like, are, okay, are you considering the Hulk movies in there? Are you considering? Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean MCU. So there's only one Hulk movie to talk about, and I've seen it twice. I was figuring yeah, that when we're talking Marvel. about Marvel movies, we're talking about like post Iron like, Man stuff I'm not directly. Talking. Yeah, yeah, the stuff directly leading into Avengers. The, the, the Kevin Feige, Kevin Feige, you know, produced, you know. Um, so, and, and like, there are, there are what, like 22 movies or something like that? It, like, it's an, it's a remarkable run to not have any absolute garbage in there. Like, X-Men Apocalypse. That's not, that's not Marvel, that's Fox. Yep. Oh. oh my now God. they're all under, they're all under oh one of the big umbrellas. Know about comic books? This is, am, I think I, I'm the biggest comic book fan here that actually you read might the be comic actually. Books in terms yeah, of reading, uh, probably. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, like, no, no, no. So, no, when we, when I say like MCU, like, no, X Men doesn't count. Uh, like, Deadpool and, and that kind of, like basically anything Fox owned uh, and before the merger, you know, it doesn't really count. It's the, it's, yeah. you know, Toby Iron Man, Thor, Captain America. Yeah, yeah Tobey Maguire doesn't count either. So, right. like, <laughs> although two thousand eight, I, I yeah, did in, really uh, enjoy the Deadpool movies. To be fair. Yeah, but yeah, also yeah. They're like just taking the piss out of everything. So. I think you would like Spider-Man: Homecoming. Like, Probably, I, yeah. I'm, cha- I'm challenging you because it's it's in between. It's in be- it's like the Deadpool kind of, but it's also like the standard Marvel movies. Um, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's also a good jumping yeah, off point. Like it. It's also a good jumping off point to get into new Marvel because it's basically the start of Phase Four. Is with Spider-Man: Homecoming. Like, because you can watch Spider-Man: Homecoming without having seen any of the other ones and still kind of get what's going on. I mean, still right, completely yeah. get what's going on. There's like a scene with Iron think, Man and a scene where they reference Civil War, Captain America Civil War, but they don't really pay play too much into the film. Well, his relationship with Iron Man does, but you don't need to see Iron Man to like. You need to know Iron Man's his mentor. Yeah, yeah. I will say that like they are compressing like decades, decades of material and all these plot lines into and condensing them into like a streamlined format, and that is very impressive. So I agree. Right, with and and frankly, making them like interesting to me like part of the reason i've tried multiple times to go dive back in you know i'll usually i'll see like i remember i saw x-men uh, days of future past and i was like that was cool let's go dig in and jump into days of future past the comics and like immediately was just hit by this wall of like asterisks and references and characters and stuff that i had never heard of yeah. no idea and it was like go back and check this thing from 15 years earlier and read this you know saga and i'm like uh, you know, so like being able to take these things and compress, like you said, compress them and make them accessible, hit hit like kind of the major notes, or in some cases, do some pretty new, interesting things with them. I think that is actually cool. what I would find to be the most interesting point about comic book movies is that they've resonated so heavily with people because these characters are so strong. But getting mm-hmm. into comic books themselves at a modern era is almost impossible because like there's so much history. Like, do you how 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 does one read all of Batman? Right. No, I mean, I, so like, and that's why my experience with comics that I've like actually enjoyed is pretty much one-offs like the, you know, yeah. um, you know, like the, the limited run kind of. 
and, know, and, and, and start before you come reboot, in with yeah. like the new reboots and the and the new um plot lines and like how you can get in like at it like certain civil war like sagas or whatever like and you know i understand that but the average consumer kind of like doesn't get how to get into like superman or batman other than to just start you know yeah that's why i say watch doctor strange you know yeah <laughs> fair it, enough um but it's all about the feeling that which going back to Zack snyder that's what he wants to portray but he doesn't quite get it is like that idea of like we can be more than who we are we can be great we can be fantastic we can be powerful uh, and like, honestly, like, I don't want to, I want fantasy. I don't want to be reminded of the reality that I have to face every day already. Like I grew up a very like sad, depressed kid. I had a very hard childhood and like comic books really helped me, uh, see more than what was in front of me, more than my reality. And that's why I was really attracted to that. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, I think, I think there's absolutely room for both. Right. You know, but at the same time, I just don't think Snyder is he's he's like a blunt force object right like it doesn't you know when he tries to be subtle it's hilarious um yeah but there's a there's a there's there is you know like for all all the credit for all the criticism of the marvel movies like the marvel movies will say more about you know the struggles of being like a you know a powerful superhuman and your responsibilities to like the lowly humans around you with like an offhand comment that you know captain america makes than snyder does with an hour of like paintings of demons and angels and you know like in battle and you know i don't know like it's the marvel movies for as commercial as they are have a really human element and that i that i kind of appreciate i that i and that i think snyder misses a lot yeah um and when he he tries to add that humanity it's it's usually that's like the weakest part like his movies are at their best when it is like here's wonder woman just like flying through the air and like kicking you know doomsday across a football field all right this point might be stupid so bear with me but like okay at what point though is snyder actually like the rebel here because there's so many movies that there's so many more marvel movies and there's so many films that try to replicate marvel movies that him being a blood force yeah. instrument is actually more rare than someone trying to make a clever human superhero film, which there's a lot of. And like, like so, like, sure, sure, sure. Oh yeah, no, it's it's certainly it's hit a formula that you know is is they're diminishing returns, right? Like there was a, there was a point I I got you know genuinely super excited to see the first Avengers, you know, yeah. like in theaters, and it was it was a really cool experience. Uh, no, I don't feel that anymore. Even when I see everybody up on the screen, like maybe there are little little bits. The end of Endgame and everything certainly has its moments, you know. Well, and I think but, like being a blunt force instrument, there is a finesse to it. Like John Wick, there's probably six pages of script to the John Wick plot, mm-hmm. and the movie's great because it's like, I, 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 well, yeah, it's great because it's like what is it, an hour and forty five minutes of Keanu Reeves shooting and reloading a gun, and it's dope. And like, there's a there's a there's a finesse to that, and like. For 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 to to extend this into back into the world of video games, which I think we should probably start talking about again at some point. Um, <laughs> True. Yeah. I think I think all of us here have played Dark Souls, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I'm always I, I generally go strength builds in Dark Souls, like big two hander, like ultra great swords, and I constantly am told that I'm like an idiot for doing that because like why aren't you going the dexterity build? You need to learn all the dodge patterns and things like that. I'm like because I would rather learn how to like 
set up my attacks because it is actually difficult to play a strength build in Dark Souls because you have to learn the the timing of your attacks because it's so long of a wind up to actually be able to hit. Um, so there is like a finesse to it, even though it is quote the meathead strategy to just bam with your ultra great sword over and over again. It's the same way I played Monster Hunter. I, I played uh, with the, the great yeah. sword build in Monster Hunter, and everyone's <laughs> like, "Oh, why aren't you going Insect Glaive where you can do these like." aerial combos and I'm like because there is like, like a legitimate strategy to being able to oh yeah counter I'm bad with great sword. I'm pretty bad with great sword. yeah yeah <laughs> and it's like I and I, I I think that like you know uh, Zack Snyder films are films for people that play ultra great sword builds in Dark Souls you know? <laughs> <laughs> they're like I just want I, I just want to say I also play as a strength field in dark souls i used to be a dex player but i was like really frustrated with the weapons and like how slow it felt but the great sword it's all, all the way i like to pan it's so much fun yeah speaking of uh dark souls i played demon souls again recently and holy shit is malik magic imbalanced in that game it was like oh yeah just throw the arrow the whole way through the game oh yeah yeah i was like and this because in dark souls and i think i think dark souls actually overcorrected because i think that their late game magic is kind of trash but like mm -hmm. demon souls it's like oh did you kill this boss here's firestorm this will kill every boss in the game in like four hits and i'm like oh what? yeah <laughs> i love that i think so that whole franchise moved towards trying to be more uh balanced and polished and not always for the better like if you look at you know if you look at two and three compared to yeah, Demon Souls or something like that, um, or you know, obviously like Bloodborne or Sekiro, where they like really zero in on a certain playstyle, yeah. like Demon Souls is not that interested in making sure that everything is viable or that everything is balanced or that every encounter kind of plays out. You know, like oh, we don't want difficulty spikes. Fuck you, we want difficulty. We don't care. <laughs> like, yeah, Miyazaki didn't even have enough money to finish the game. That's why there's like exactly. like, like abandoned archstone. So he was just throwing his right. best. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. Well, he's yeah, he was brought in late and everything. Yeah. So of course it's um, unbalanced. They didn't have the money. Like from software wasn't the same company. <laughs> right. Well, I, no, I mean, but I, I, I'm not criticizing. I I yeah. kind of genuinely like that. I I think you can you can sand off many of the rough edges and then like, you know, it's not an esport. Demon Souls <laughs> okay. is my favorite. It's my favorite Souls game. Yeah, Demon Souls rules. Um, yeah, I mean, they, I, they, I mean, I, I genuinely, I think Dark Souls, I prefer just because it, that's where it clicked for me uh, more. Like, I got, I played Demon Souls back when it launched, and I remember just, I didn't know anything about it other than it was supposed to be hard, and I didn't like, I had seen like a quick giant bomb video on it, and they didn't seem to understand it either. I'd never played Kingsfield, or you know, I'd never played Monster Hunter, you know, so I wasn't used to like that kind of animation priority kind of combat and everything. And yeah, it was a pretty frustrating experience and it didn't quite, quite click. I, I beat the game, but more just out of stubbornness than like loving it. Um, and then with Dark Souls, it finally, it finally clicked. Um, and going back, I played the PS5 Demon Souls and, and I mean, I love it. It's great. Um, and it was hilarious revisiting it and seeing how different my, uh, attitude towards, you know, certain encounters or certain like, losing 30,000 souls because I was stupid and just kind of like, I can make it. I can get past this. You know, I can just rush past this <laughs> group of guys. Oh, yeah. um, you know, um, just seeing how differently I responded to those things where, you know, there I, I rage quit Demon Souls for like six months in the, in the middle. I forget exactly what encounter. Oh, you know what? It wasn't the Maneater um, boss. And I just like, I just was like, I'm done. I don't care. I don't need this in my life right now. You know, I came back later and finished it. The man and this time, oh, are you talking about the the, the, the gargoyle guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Well, yeah, because it's like already, in, unless you know like the cheesy way to do it, right? Like, uh, and this was before there was like an entire cottage industry of YouTube videos and wikis, oh, yeah. you know. Um, Back in the day, like, like you get <laughs> in and you just you're just getting your ass kicked, and then you finally, after you know, fifteen tries or whatever, you finally get the, you know get it down to a certain health, and then a second one flies in, and you're just like, fuck yeah, you know. Um, Anyway, this time it was fine because yeah. I knew I just had a complete went in with a completely different mindset. Yeah, so I I, I did look it up. They only shipped fifteen thousand copies to North America, and yeah. it sold out like insanely fast. Um, they only expected it would sell seventy five thousand units total, and it sold a, over a hundred thousand copies in Japan in just the first couple months. And they were like, "Oops, uh, we didn't make enough." <laughs> like, uh, yeah, oh, I think they more. had. Yeah, they absolutely expected to fail. And why would you I mean this is why I, I think it's kind of funny to try to like outguess the market, you know, <laughs> like to try to guess yeah. the next big thing, because like the market's gonna do what the market's gonna do. And what the market's gonna do is fickle, right? Like there's yeah. no I don't think you could have foreseen at all that there I could talk about this. <laughs> I was gonna say I knew you had no, I knew you were gonna have opinions. And I'm I wanted Yeah, because that's I literally my job. I No, I know, I know. I yeah, it's like being a marketer. Like I studied the market and there is definitely patterns and things that I see of like where people are going to. But like what uh New Blood has figured out is just like by the time people are like, Oh, I'm gonna jump on board of this, it's usually too late. People wanna mm -hmm. make it dusk. Dusk is made. Why would they want a new dust? They already got dusk, right? They right. already got retro FPSs. So why would you? Oh no, Nate! I think he must have accidentally clicked the hang up button while he was Nate! listening. Nate, he fell through oh, the no. cracks. He's Nate, back. come back! He dropped, dropped off. Nate! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say that there is definitely patterns that you can see. Um, like tied into nostalgia and like <laughs> trends. Oh, and stuff absolutely, like I don't. That. Yes, I don't yeah. mean to dismiss your job and say that there's right. nothing. There's nothing to it. Like absolutely. Like, you know, I, 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 yes. Really quick, so like Ted and I are Dread XP. We're, we're publishing games now, right? And we're looking at the games, and we have to make a decision because there's many people that come to us with publishing, and I know like uh, you know New Blood has to do that too. But we have to make a decision of the games we're going to publish and the games we're not going to publish. So we have to take guesses that the market is going to like these games. Mm -hmm. And so I have a like a, a checklist that I go through in my head of like, you know, is this going to appeal to the public, you know, in a couple of years from now when this game comes out? And so I have to take a guess, but I have a very, very good educated guess. <laughs> right. Because of, like all the things I've like studied in the past. But I will tell you, a lot of developers don't study that. They're just like, I just want to make whatever I want to make. And they don't even consider it. They don't even know where to begin with that. Because they, they yeah. I just read a thread about this yesterday about software development where this guy tried to take on a, a big like uh, San Francisco, like Silicon Valley company doing the same thing. And he thought he was totally as an indie software developer was going to win and he got pulverized. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but he learned from that lesson and ended up making like really good money, buying companies. So he's good now, but like he had to learn that lesson um, about uh, marketing, basically, and like yeah. studying that. Yeah, I know. I, I I'll 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 uh, elaborate and say like I don't think that there's like I clearly marketing matters and is important and like the market you know like you can learn the market but I think my my point is more that it seems like there you know there's definitely it feels like often there are these massive successes that come out of seemingly nowhere 
and then it creates a market and then right like everyone's too late to it right um but like stardew valley right there's there are a million versions of that story that where stardew valley comes out and no one gives a crap yeah but I will say that, like, here's the thing about Sardew Valley is that Chucklefish was a pretty established publisher, even when they did Sardew Valley. And they don't get enough credit for how they did their, twi- their Twitch campaign. Because if it wasn't mm. for Twitch and if it wasn't for Chucklefish, like, we wouldn't even be talking about Sardew Valley. But nobody ever, you know, talks about them because Eric has now since, like, uh, doesn't work with them anymore, which is understandable. Right. No, that's, that's fair. And, and I think I think that actually leans into my point a, a little bit, just because no, you're right. Because I heard the same thing about Valheim. You know, people going like, "Where the hell did Valheim come from?" And then people, I and saw some Twitter threads. Yeah, right. And I and then I saw people like leaning, you know, going in and saying like, "Well, first of all, Valheim has like a serious publisher behind it. You know, it's not literally just these five guys self-publishing. Right. And also, they've been working on this game for years and pushing it on, you know, alpha builds and building a community and all that kind of stuff. So like, no marketing in this in the sense of like getting the message out, building community, building excitement, absolutely, you know. Um, I, I do think it's interesting when people try to, like, say, oh, you know what, this is going to be huge. And it's like, well, I I don't know that you can know. Or, or in the kit, you know, I or this is not going to, this is going to be a total failure. You, you don't quite know what's going to light, you know, light people's imaginations on fire. Yeah, Val- Valheim was published by Coffee Stain. Like, they have money. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not nobody, yeah. They got that goat um, simulator money, which made more money than fucking anything. But it's still interesting that, like, you know, how many Valheim on paper sounds like, you know, probably three thousand other games that came out on Steam over the last five years. Um, and also have publishers behind them with money, right? Yeah, like I, it's somewhere it built a critical mass, and I think a lot of it, I, I, I think, does have to do with like the the legwork they did in building that, building a community ahead of time. Um, even though I, I had literally never heard of it until it had suddenly sold a million copies. Here's how I know that Dread Delusion is going to do really well. Whenever, first of all, uh, whenever James posts something, like he has jumped in followers like crazy ever yeah. since mm-hmm. he started to regularly, weekly post his gifts. Every time he does, he almost gets a thousand likes, almost a thousand likes every time he posts something about this game. That's how I know that there is a market for it. The game's not out yet, right? But yeah. I know that people are interested in it because they're they're telling me, they're telling us with the engagement that they're interested. And oh, that's yeah. how you can tell. If anyone like if you're posting your game, any game devs out there, if you're posting your game and people aren't liking that, then you need to adjust. Like you need to tweak that. Because you're not just gonna like put it out there and then people aren't gonna see it or engage with it and then they're gonna buy it. You know, they wanna engage with it first and that'll tell you and then uh, you can see like what you put in your trailer, for example, like what people are most interested, what characters, what environments, like what, you know, and you have to experiment. You have to try different things. Like I can't like that's why like marketing, you can't guarantee anything. There's no like strict ROI, even though companies hate saying that, like they want to look at data and numbers and think that's going to tell them. But like every developer I know that approaches marketing through data and numbers uh, is surprised when that doesn't work because there has mm-hmm. to be this human element talking about uh Ted was talking about earlier about resonance, like these like really popular movies versus the art house movies. It's like there is something special about making something that resonates with people. And that does turn into sales and money. And like that depends on like what your goals is as a developer. Like, do you want that? Um, mm-hmm. and it is hard to have both. Like I know, like, for example, David Smansky's games, like there's a clear difference between like what he does as art and then what he does as, you know, a commercial developer, right? Um, I no, I approach all of them basically the same. 
honestly. You, you approach Dusk the uh, same way you approach Fingerbones? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I think that they're very different yeah. games, though. Oh, they are, yeah, but I mean, to, like, uh, creative-wise, I always start with, um, I always start artistically with, like, what is what is something that I think, uh, yeah, like what is something that I would want to play? Sort of what mm-hmm. I start with. That's funny. I said that in our last podcast for DXA three, and Star yelled at me. Let me let me ask you. No, I didn't. No, you did. You did. No, I didn't. Let me ask you. No, this a different well, way. that's how. Go ahead. Go why, ahead go ahead. Here's the thing. No, no, no. Why would? Okay, you guys are misunderstanding me at all. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm like offended. If you are not, if you are not, <laughs> if you are not happy with what you're making, you're not going to be motivated to finish it. Mm-hmm. But you have to like what you're making. Mm-hmm. Therefore, that's a mute point. Creatively, you're always going to do something that you want to do, unless you're getting paid by somebody else to do it. Right. Well, no, so, yeah, I, I, no, that, I, mean, I think that's I, absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, so I work on you stuff. totally misunderstood. Both of you misunderstood me. <laughs> no, 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 I got <laughs> you it. You have I was, to do that. I was joking. Yeah. I'm joking. I wasn't like. You should be huh. joking. Don't take him seriously, guys, because that's not my philosophy at all, and I don't want people to misunderstand like what I'm saying here. Because, but there is a clear difference between finger bones and dust, and I do think that like other people, like Dave Ostry, had an influence of like dust gameplay and how it was presented and the context that you bring into other people. Because it's two different audiences, what you're bringing to Dusk and what you're bringing to Fingerbones. So it's it's so marketing is not about the game itself necessarily, but the context of how you share it to people and how people resonate with that. Mm-hmm. And then there's just certain subject matters that people are, are going to like more overall. Like, for example, Nate's last game in Dreadx 3 was about Japanese mascots. Mm-hmm. Not everyone is going to resonate with Japanese mascots or Japanese culture necessarily, right? Yeah. Right. So compared to like other things. So I that's what my point is here. I have to iterate this because I don't want people to think well, I get you. I understand. A, I understand. a money cruncher and that's all I care about. I don't care about the artistic value of games. Like because I worked at like indie art festival, you know, like I purposely turned down a lot of AAA jobs to work in indie spaces so I can make developers' dreams come true. Like I want developers to make money. Uh, especially indie developers to make money. I want those creative ideas to become more mainstream, right? Yeah. Instead of seeing the same thing over and over again. Well, that's actually, you know, this is actually an interesting question because I think this actually relates to what, you know, David and I have actually talked about this a couple times before because I think that, you know, David, regardless of if you're going into Dusk, the same mentality that you're going into uh, Fingerbones, like your perspective on the market has certainly changed. You've talked about this with me before. Your perspective on gaming, the industry, and the market has changed since before and after you start working on games, you know? Um, yeah, I'd say so. You know, and um, I think that... Oh my god, sorry. I just totally spaced. I'm like such an idiot. I was like making a good point there. That's all right. I had a really smart no, point. It's, it's, <laughs> well, it's funny because when you said, you know, David, when you said like, um, you know, oh, I know I approach them the same way. Everyone's like, what? And I'm like, no, I get it. Oh, totally. Oh, um, that, that, yes, because, I can't remember what I was saying. Keep, keep going up. Keep going. I'll go next. Well, I was just like, I, I think there is, you know, you start, like for me, everything starts with a vibe, you know, just, there's just like this gut feeling that I'm going for, yes. right? And then, and then everything else goes from that, you know, whether it's, yes, yes whether it's effigy or whether it's, you know, cellular harvest well, or something, you know. I never, I never really got to finish. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. What I was going to say is that I always start at the point of like, this not, I mean, if something you want to wait make, something you want to make is obviously very important, but um, I always specifically think of, like, what would I want to play um, 
because that's your best way of determining what other people are going to want to play is you know as assuming that you're um somewhat in tune with you know the market or whatever um but then the important thing to determine after that is um what's the what do you like i guess i guess to put it bluntly how many how you know how many copies of this do you think you could sell and then that that determines like how much time do you want to put into this and how much are you expecting people to really be into it um and that's for me that's where the market considerations come in i don't personally believe in starting with those you um, shouldn't anyone who's like mm-hmm. i want to make this product i want to make this game to make money it never does yeah right i, I mean I, yes i've been approached by them i yeah <laughs> Like and we're gonna I, make the next WoW killer. Like remember when every MMO was oh like God. that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So or I'm gonna make the next Call of Duty. I'm gonna make the next Minecraft. Every time somebody starts this like that. So I I totally agree with you, David. <laughs> That's why it's about it's not about necessarily the idea, but the context of how you bring it to the audience. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I think that too is also like there's a difference between I know I can make something that will appeal to this market. I think it's when when you have companies that are like, I'm going to make something that takes over the world, like that kind of hubris, like doesn't, yeah. it rarely pans out, you know, like those, those kind of like world shattering things are, I feel like are often accidents or not accidents, but like yeah. confluences with a lot of a million different factors that are, you know, yes. beyond just like, yeah. You know, um, I'm going to make the next Pangea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, it, from software was not wrong to think, okay. Kingsfield has never sold well in the U.S. Armored Core, no one gives a shit about in the U.S. Like no hey, one played. Uh, hey, hey don't, I, don't be I love. About hey, my baby. I know. I keep going. Right. Our, yes, you played Armored Core. <laughs> you know, millions yeah. and millions and millions of people. The did only not. one who played Armored Core was. There. I played a lot of the Armored Core demo. I had an Armored Core demo disc, or I had a demo disc yeah. that had AC one on it, and I played a lot of that. Um, never. I don't know that I ever played the full game. I was more of a Zone of the Enders fan, but anyways. Yeah, but I mean, like, it was, you know, they had had a run of basically being, we make these weird little niche titles that have their little little fan base in the U.S. Maybe they do a little bit, they do better in, in Japan, but never really take off here. And I think they were totally right to just say, like, I mean, who's going to play this, like, weird, janky-ass game? And yeah. then it blew up, right? Um, so speaking of FromSoft again, David, I have a... I don't want to elaborate on this too much because we, we do have to get to some other questions, but do uh-huh. you in some ways feel like Dusk is your demon's souls? Uh, in what context? Well, I don't think you expected it to be as successful as it was, and now any future project you have is going to be compared to that base game. I mean, Sekiro came out and everyone was talking about, you know, is it as good as Dark Souls? And, you know, Miyazaki was like, I don't know, it's a different fucking game. You know? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we. I guess it depends on what period of development you're talking about, because there was definitely a period where it was like we have fairly good, uh, fairly good reason to believe that this will do pretty well, and it didn't. It, it basically, it basically didn't like super, super exceed our expectations. Um, it basically like landed right in the middle. It was like this is pretty much exactly as well as we expected it to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe not review wise. It it did better review wise than I expected personally. Um, but yes, then um, 
there is uh i i have a feeling of pressure that everything i will ever do uh will now be compared to dusk um mm. i'm not sh- you know it's hard to know if that will be the case but that yeah. is definitely how i feel about it yeah yeah i definitely understand that and you know it's it's i think this leads back into kind of at the very beginning, I was I was going to bring this up, but then we got distracted by the Snyder Cut for an hour. Um, <laughs> thanks, Zack Snyder, for making everything overlong. God. Uh, <laughs> I mean, anyways, uh, but you know, David, we, you and I kind of put our heads together a lot on this on this project. On you know, especially during the, those early days of who we're going to pick and who we want to do different different things. And you know, when we when we both landed on Nate doing the launcher, um, you know, there was a sense of like that Nate was the perfect pick for it because he has a, he's, he's, there's a similar kind of trajectory in what he's developing to what your trajectory was. You know, you started with these yes. indie kind of narrative walking Sims and then you moved into shooter and Nate, you know, started with, uh, uh, well, I don't know exactly what you started with, but you know, you had Sagebrush come up before mm-hmm. and now you're working on Effigy, which is a, a shooter. And, um, you know, I, I do think that it's, especially for people at home listening that are kind of in their niche, you know, I only make adventure games or walking sims. I think there's a really valuable lesson in that, that example of what, how you can grow as a creator when you, when you branch out, you know? Yeah. I probably did the exact wrong thing uh, in terms of like, um, I know that I have a personal brand, but I really don't have any, um, any great plan in, in, limiting myself by sticking to that. Uh, like the fact that I'm like the, the horror uh, shooter guy now uh, mm-hmm. is really just more because that's where I like working right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think probably the smarter thing would be to say that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Cause that's what my audience will be. But there are definitely some things that I want to do that are not that like mm-hmm. there's definitely some things I want to, you know, want to do and have done that aren't even games. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm I'm always and I think that's a uh helps motivate me on projects is doing new stuff. I don't really like doing the same stuff over and over. For, well, oh. after yeah. well, I mean obviously I've done like, you know, I had that the run of doing nothing but walking simulators for a while and then I got bored of that. Um that's kind of how it tends to go where I just I like moving on to try new stuff. Yeah, I mean that was that was kind of my trajectory. Like, you know, it wasn't consciously I'm going to do what David Samuski did. Uh, it was like, you know, I mean, Sagebrush was purely a product of like the limits of my budget and my time and my abilities at the time. You know, like what I knew how to do. Um, and you know, um, yeah, I think it's very I, smart to work within those limits. Yeah, and yeah, and then effigy was yeah. Effigy literally started as an experiment, like, hey, can I make a decent character controller? That was it. Like, it was just a gray box character controller for a while. And, you know, it was, and then it was like, okay, can I make this gun feel good? Okay, cool. Can I make an interesting level? Okay, can I have this level connect to another level in an interesting way? And it just kind of built up from there. You guys are not giving enough credit to Ashri. Okay, like, I saw him hustling out there. Like, Dave was making those domains. He was replying to every single viral tweet being like, we hate money, we hate money, like, we're dusk, like, we've got this game out here. Like, I saw him talking to everyone, like, emailing everybody. Like, he, like, put that game out there. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just Dave made a game and then it got popular. Like, Dave Ashri 
both of you had to work together to create what it was, you know? Well, I never said <laughs> I just made a game and it got out there. No, I know. Yeah, you're totally not saying that. But I just don't want the audience to think that because that is what a lot of game devs, when they're in like college or like students, like they, that's what they see. But they yeah. don't see all of the emails and all of the like behind the scenes. They don't see the booths at the events. They don't see um, like the business talks. Like, like, <laughs> like yeah. I just saw that you guys are going to be in Switch now. Yay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's. Yeah, and uh, that took you guys a while, didn't it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I would have made a game and it just got out there. Yeah, it, it's yeah. like there's so, much <laughs> uh, there's so much business to these games that people just like don't see. So I just want people out there to know. And like uh, Nate, just you, like you just didn't have that experience for Sagebrush, you know, uh, the same experience. Yeah. No, no, but I mean, on the flip side, like you know, Sagebrush ended up actually selling quite well and yeah part yeah, of that you, you had uh probably more sales of sagebrush than i've had of my uh my narrative games so far to be fair sagebrush is longer than than your games it's a little bit more robust mm -hmm. but yeah. a, a big chunk of that is like it did okay on steam it didn't do very well on itch even though i, I love you itch but um nothing ever does well on itch, itch. right yeah. um but a lot of it was pure dumb luck of um, literally just, I just like, you know, was like shit posting basically on some Twitter thread and then rattle like a games who does, who handled the port ended up handling the port, like saw, they just saw my profile and they're like, Hey, this looks like something that would fit in our wheelhouse. And like, yeah. a lot so of I think, I think a, is dumb luck. Before right. And, and yeah. And a lot of its success piggybacked off of them having yeah. had a pretty long run of um, they had a built-in audience, you know, that um, was able to huh rattle like a games. Um, it's it's interesting because their their audience is like the achievement hunter community, <laughs> um, oh. and uh, so Sagebrush. It was funny when it came out on Switch. A number of the reviews were like, um, when you you know when you see a new rattle like a game, you know. Two things: it's going to be cheap and it'll be easy to platinum. Uh, but this one's actually good, and like that's not a that's that was not a criticism of like their ability as a publisher. It was just you know um, they they do seek out games that are like relatively short, fairly quick to turn around, um, and then they they know how to market them to the achievement hunters. And um, but I had a lot of people reach out to me and say like, yeah, I kind of just grabbed it because it was cheap, uh, and it ended up you know really getting to me. Um, so I was like, I wasn't going to be too picky about the the vector I used to get it out there, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, but again, a lot of that was was I mean, it was it was it was the luck, but it's that kind of luck that you make by just kind of being active and and well, yeah, a little bit yeah, of the hustle, luck, right? Like, luck is a function of persistence, is, right? Is, right. Like you will generally, if you are starting out as just a single unknown developer, you need luck to get ahead. But if you keep trying stuff and trying to be smart about the situations that you put your you know put your stuff in and the opportunities that you make potentially available uh, you know the the idea being that then that's how luck strikes if you're right if you're right. about yes. doing that absolutely and that was you know prior to sagebrush command i didn't really have much of a twitter presence um mm -hmm. and you know, Twitter is awful and it's a hell site and, we, you know, we all hate it. And it's probably really yeah. I, I don't hate Twitter. But, but I like, I, <laughs> I do. I will, I will proudly I say that Twitter. I hate Twitter. You, 
even though I mean, it's no, a huge you... part of my job. <laughs> I love Twitter and I hate Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, but I just, um, but it's certainly, you know, my opportunities started, you know, happening the more I just like made myself present, right? Um, yeah. Rather than just kind of keeping it to myself and like, I put on a little game and I hope people play it, you know? Yeah, I just want to like kind of piggyback off of uh, something you said about like taking opportunities. Cause like, okay, so there's this perception in like our side of things that I'm like extremely lucky. Like, it's kind of like my only skill is that I'm extremely lucky, but that's like actually not true. So like, we got a pretty good musical uh, guest for this, for this collection. I don't really want to spoil it. Um, I'm not sure if this is going to come out before or after they release their musical component, but like I got, I, I was able to get that musical component because I, I took a, an interview uh, with this game. And the reason I knew about the game is called In Sound Mind. You should definitely go wishlist. It looks freaking awesome. It's, it's made by the people that made Nightmare House 2, which is an old mod that, uh, you know, I was a fan of back in the, back when I was in college, you know? And, um, basically they're now making a main game. And so I was like, yeah, I'll interview these people. And then while talking to him, it turns out that this guy is just best friends with this musical actor. And, you know, you, you, the thing is, is that it's funny. Cause like you think about those moments in your life all the time. You're like, Oh, I didn't know that this was related to this, but I just like jumped on it. It was like, let me talk to him. You know? I, and I think that the thing is, is like as much as something like, like, you know, Twitter might be hard to look at sometimes like you have to, especially when you're starting, not even just when you're starting out, you have to be able to jump at those opportunities. And I think that the biggest yeah. difference I see between devs that like make it and those that don't are the ones that are willing to like take the chance on those opportunities, like to 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 and, and then put themselves out there and you know roll with the punches. And there's gonna be like the ones that I see crash and burn are the ones that like get stuck on a thing and then just like keep getting stuck on that thing, whether it's a, a debate or whether it's uh, a, a genre that they just can't quite get out of or whether it's some kind of hold hang up that they have um and i think that really what like you know the the core message is is you know do do what your your heart desires but don't use that to close yourself off from all the opportunities out there you know yeah i definitely agree you had a, a tweet not too long ago about like you know hey if your brand is just like shitting on other people's stuff you know, um, yeah, that was uh, Dave, like, which I completely. Oh, okay, that was, yeah, right, right. That was, yeah, you quote tweeted it, I guess. Um, but I've absolutely noticed that, like, you know, I don't necessarily make a conscious effort to be uh, hyper positive, you know, or like fakely positive on Twitter. But it is like, you know, even if you do get, you know, you jump on these bandwagons on crapping on this or that unpopular game or like this or that, you know dev that everyone's hating on that week or whatever like you get a lot of positive feedback you know and people are like yeah like you know but that sticks around people see that you know yeah like, that's one of the problems with twitter and it's something that i'm still trying to figure out how to best navigate is that you can get a lot of positive feedback from something and when that thing is still like not a good thing to do right, <laughs> like right. it wouldn't harm you in the long run yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, like I, it has done me well to make sure that, you know, Twitter projects like that, at least my Twitter page, I think projects like a relatively approachable and friendly, you know, like if, especially if you're using it as a way to find work, which a lot of devs are like, yeah, try to be someone that someone might want to work with. <laughs> yeah. Like we devs absolutely will vet your Twitter. 
And it's not necessarily just for like, although they will absolutely vet your Twitter for like horrible racist crap. Oh, but, for sure. Um, like, I know we'll we'll look at your Twitter just to see like what kind of person you are, which is going to be real bad for me if I ever have to find a job. <laughs> uh, do as I say, not as I do. But right. like, well, like if your Twitter is just a bunch of like stuff that makes it obvious that you are a combative, toxic person who doesn't know when to keep their mouth shut, that's probably not going to be a good look. Yeah, yeah. No, there are absolutely developers who, like, you know, I may love their work and I may, you know, even agree with them on a lot of stuff that they're, you know, maybe upset about or whatever. But, like, just the fact that, like, they cannot pass up a fight makes me think, like, I don't know if I want to hitch to that wagon, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that, um, and this is, like, a lot of this credit goes to, uh, the, to, goes to Star, because, like, you know, I think that your, I think that Twitter, like, eventually just becomes, like, or your, your socials in general, like, you attract the audience that you create, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I've actually talked to a number of other devs um, and they're all like, or other communities. And a lot of them are like, Oh, it's so toxic. I fucking hate discord. I I hate Twitter. Everyone's so toxic. And our discord and our Twitter are like, not at all. Like, you know, I know we're not as big as some other companies, but you know, we're big enough that the toxicity would have started, but we do like, you know, and I, I think that, uh, uh, like I said, a lot of that credit uh, goes to Star for, you know, creating the, the positive, healthy environment um, that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that you attract the audience that you demand to come to you. So I definitely agree. And you can yeah. have a like you can have a Twitter account where you you think you're tweeting all the right stuff and it's that you're you're like on the right side of all the arguments and stuff but you could still be attracting a very toxic audience if they see you as um a target or like someone who's always arguing or things like that right right um, like and that's why you'll i you know i don't i don't know everything about social media or anything i don't know everything about anything but like <laughs> um uh i i think that's You'll see, you know, these situations where it's someone who is just like they're they're just constantly in battle about something on Twitter and getting all these horrible messages and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say that all the time that's their fault because it's you know sometimes that's just what happens. But there are situations I've seen where it's like it's they they attract that with their with their behavior. Mm-hmm. Can I? Which yeah, go ahead. Um, here's the thing. I do get upset because I feel like people send mixed messages and people are going, they have cognitive bias that they're going to take away what they're going to take away based off the filters of their life. So if you tell developers, don't use this platform, right? Don't talk to these people. Don't use this platform. They're going to take you seriously. So, but they're going to limit themselves because they don't know if, if you tell them don't go to a publisher ever, every publisher is evil. We all know that that's not true. Mm. We all know not every Twitter is bad or every discord is bad, but if, if people keep hearing discord is bad, Twitter is bad, all publishers are bad, then these developers are never going to have these opportunities because they're going to, they don't know where to go. Right. Yeah, that's fair. And, and that is the problem I have. Like, that's why I get kind of like upset when I hear that because I can mute, I can block, I can unfollow people. Um, I can leave a discord and I can, um, well, unless you have like a contract with the publisher, that's why you have to like look at your contracts. But that's why I'm just 
don't like it when people say this is terrible, but you should do it anyways. I don't like that. It's just Oh, like, I mean, I'll be very clear. Like every opportunity that I've gotten since Sagebrush came out is because of like meeting someone on Twitter or like crossing paths on Twitter, basically. You've got to use it if you're a dev. Um, and I also have fun with it. I, I, it's been great, as, you know, especially in lockdown. It's been great to have have like you know people like to be able to make a dumb joke and have people like laugh at it, even if that laugh is just like hitting like you know or whatever you know. Um, like no, I, I, I love Twitter. I, you know, but there is there are pitfalls for sure. But uh, of course, but that's why mute, block, and unfollow exists. Like people. Mm-hmm make the world that they want to live in they they will follow the people that they want to follow and here's the thing about those negative people is like eventually their audience will turn on them you know event you know if you get an a negative i've seen it over and over again where you build up this like angry audience and then then one day you're going to be tired of being angry and you're going to say something different and they're going to turn on you because that's exactly that and also they they leave right they don't stick around but if you're positive they will stick around for the long haul uh, but, you know, that's all subjective, what's positive and negative anyways. Right. Yeah. And I will say this. Um, this is going to get a little personal for a second, so we probably need to, like, end after, sometime quickly after. Um, one, of, <laughs> one of the things... Because everyone will be angry? Is that what everyone, you're getting Everyone at? will be sad. Um, I'll be oh, sad. Okay. Um, so, like, I, I do the thing, right, where uh, usually when we get negative reviews on Steam, I'll, like, reach out to the person and be like... Because... First off, I want to know what we did wrong so that we can do better. Um, and also, because if someone's like coming to the Dread X collection to shit on it, or Sagebrush, or Fingerbones, or whatever, um, they're probably not having the best life. Like, you don't go and shit on some indie game because like you're A number one at your job and you have a lot of great things going on. And it's like, generally... I mean, I remember back to the times when I was writing my most negative reviews and I fucking hated my life. Like I, I was not in a good place. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm naturally a very morose person. Like my sense of humor is super dark, but like generally I'm like a very, very, I have, I have very bad like clinical depression that I'm like medicated for. And I usually don't talk about it. Not because I don't believe it's important to talk about, but because um, I choose not to define my life based on it. Um, I, I learned through AA, which is another thing I do that I probably, like, they're, they're, whatever, they can't kick me out. Um, but like, I learned in AA that like your life is a reflection of like the company you keep and the outlook that you, you put out into the world. Like that's one of the big things about AA is that you don't just do it alone. You do it with sponsees and things like that because you're forced to put out the message that you internalize and it's you we forget how hard it is to internalize we, we forget that we are internally extension of our outside and that our outside is also in becomes an extension of our inside and um you know i i'm not not i think you all know me as like probably like oh ted's super friendly he's super nice like i'm not naturally that way like naturally i'm i'm if you leave me alone in a room, I get very dark and very miserable and very hard to be around. And I was that way for a lot of my life. And um, I had to learn how to actively be someone else so that I could attract that community. And um, I think that, you know, a lot of people get stuck in that. They get stuck in 
this is who I am and I am never going to get out. And I have personally walked a lot of people through that into better lives. And um, it's not easy to do. And it's not something that I think I do understand that I'm coming from a position of relative privilege that I am able to do that. Um, but it's, it's, and I've, I've seen people fail also. And it's really, really hard to see that. Um, and uh, you know, who makes it and who doesn't the, the only, God, it's so fucking hard to decide who makes it or predict who makes it, who doesn't, or who's going to make it after some time and just needs a little bit more time or whatever. It's always, you never, it's, it's, it's a crapshoot. But the thing is, is that like the people that wind up usually making it are the ones who make an honest effort of turning their outward facing world into the world they want to be their inward facing world. And that is incredibly difficult because it only takes one bad day to burn all your bridges. It takes one bad day of being like, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to go on Twitter and tell everyone that they should go fuck themselves. I'm going to go to my AA group and tell them that they're all fucking pedophile perverts or some shit. Like, it only takes one day of doing that, and then you can be right back where you started. But the thing is, is that you were, even if you do that, you got to be able to crawl yourself back out, or else you're just going to get stuck there. And that's the message of positive. That's, like, one of the reasons that, like, you know, when we were starting Dread XP, I was like, we were coming up with tag taglines, and I wanted to do Positively Spooky. Because there's enough Silent Hill fans haven't been happy in 25 years. And I don't know how they live. I don't know how they live hating everything that comes out. And I've met a lot of them in real life. And the ones that... I don't think that the guy that did the Silent Hill circumcision shit, you know? Do you, does everyone know what I'm talking about with Silent Hill circumcision no. shit? What is, oh, do I want to? There's, we can't go into it right now. There's too much. There's it's a guy that deep. basically decided that the all of Silent Hill 4 was about circumcision as male oh. genital mutilation. And, um... Okay. But, like... That guy clearly, like, the the amount of time he put into that, like, he didn't wake up one day and be like, oh my god, I've had this revelation, the whole thing's about circumcision and the world needs to know. Like, you go through all of, he's a moderator on, like, 15 different wikis, and he's put this into all these different games. Clearly it's an extension of, of, of a trauma that he has in his past, or some kind of issue that he has. Um, and as a result, what he's putting out into the world is... His, his his internal life is an extension of what he's putting out. He he will, until he decides to change, like, he's always going to be the guy worried about circumcision in Silent Hill. Um, but the, the, the change doesn't start with you waking up one day and magically feeling better. I mean, like, anyone that's gotten sober doesn't wake up one day and go, Gorsh, I'm so glad that I'm not drinking or doing drugs now. Like, they do the work, and it sucks, and then your life gets better. And that's what I think is the process that a lot of people have to go through with, with, you know, um, um, putting themselves out there is that like, you have to, you have to, you have to put out the positivity. Um, and that's why I think that, you know, a lot of people have a hard time with socials is because either they themselves have something inside that's unhappy or they see all this unhappiness out there, but you know, the only the only thing you can do, the, like literally the only thing you can do in this world is to try to put out the message that you want the rest of the world to receive and that you want to try to push the world in that direction. And it's so easy to like become overwhelmed by the moroseness of it all. Um, and I don't, and I, I certainly, I understand that I'm being very serious right now and I'm being a little bit morose. Um, but, you know, I, this is coming from someone whose like life has gotten better by, by taking these steps. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I, 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 I can see the side where people are like, I, I don't particularly like this, but I also see, you know, 
well, you have to be, you have to put yourself out there. And if you're going to have to, I would say the best way to do it is to try to make the world out there the world that you want to feel inside. And even if the whole world doesn't change, you'll be able to, you know, attract enough people that, like, honestly, the thing that makes all of this worthwhile for me is, like, I got a, I got a game, random game, from someone that, like, had given us a bad review, and they just bought me, like, golf with friends because they wanted to hang out. And he's like, yeah, I mean, like, I think you're cool, and I'd like to play golf with friends with you. And I'm like, that's, like, the sweetest thing ever. And, like, putting it out into the world, you will, you might not see it immediately, but you will hopefully receive something back. Not to say nothing bad will ever happen to you again, but, um, anyways, I, I just wanted to bring that up because I think we, we, we as a conversation tend to focus on the negatives rather than the positives, especially in the current political climate and things like that. So I, I just want devs to not be afraid of getting feedback. Yes. Like your reviews, talk to other devs, stop being afraid of getting feedback. Like, yeah. and then also don't be afraid to join communities. We are so afraid of confrontation. We're so afraid of each other. And it's because we keep having these, like, like what Ted said, morose conversations. And so, and people get drained and they're tired and they're depressed and they wonder why it's because they keep having depressing, sad, uh, angry conversations. And then the people they're talking to are having the same conversations and then they get scared of having communities and getting feedback. Yeah. So it's, like it's a cycle that we as an industry <laughs> uh as gamer community whatever that means you know i feel like we should start that and yes and here's the thing i know exactly how to go viral by doing stupid shit for dread xp shit posts i can do that but i purposely don't do it because i want to grow a like a certain kind of audience that <laughs> never mind yeah no I, I get it and and i think the thing is is um you know, I I have a different perspective on this industry than um, I have a unique perspective because I was a journalist for a long time, and I've seen that side of things. Um, and I think we all kind of like we know we know that account that account with between a thousand to eight thousand followers that all they do is shit on things, and they've been doing it for like ten years, mm-hmm. and they don't grow and. Like they might have had a few big spikes when they were shitting on something popular. Like we all we all know that silent, those Silent Hill accounts that like all they do is shit on things for not being Silent Hill. And they might have gotten like they put out a video eight years ago that got two million views about why Silent Hill Two is the best game ever. And they've just never gotten out of that, and they've just spent the rest of their time putting out a lot of negativity. And um, I meet those people. I those people are my friends. They're not your guys's friends because they're so busy shitting on your guys's games. I was that guy. I, 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 my, it's so funny because before I worked with David, I like made, did a negative review of Fingerbones that didn't get published because my, my editor was like, this is really negative. Are you okay? <laughs> and like, that's the thing is like, Are you and, feeling okay, Ted? Yeah, yeah. 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 And it was like, I had to go through that, that personal change. And I've seen people in their forties that didn't and fifties that didn't. And like seeing how it's fun when you're a young buck that can kind of roll with the punches. I enjoyed parts of my negativity and i think that um i'm not proud of that but it is real and i think at certain times we all enjoy our own negativity a little bit um and uh you know but luckily i was able to to get out of that and i i would definitely recommend anyone listening on either side of the industry any side of the industry fan journalist gamer whatever um don't follow the model of the angry youtuber because first off, that model is 
basically dead. And also, like, I've met those guys. I've seen them at the parties. I've talked to them. I've hung out with them. They are not having a good time. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how popular you are if you hate yourself. And I would rather run a company that I like, that I don't hate myself for running, than one that, uh, than Activision, you know? Although running Activision would be, if I did it, would be hilarious, because I would change a lot. But, uh, um, more waterboarding. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I don't know. I would raise a feared and attack all the competitive uh, video game companies. Yeah. And I don't mean to be talking too much shit about because I know there's great people that work in Blizzard and that work on Call of Duty. I'm like I'm friends with people that work on Call of Duty, so I don't want to talk too much shit. But it's like there's a definitely a different mentality there, and I think that they would even agree to that. So, um, oh yeah, I mean the issues behind big companies is never the people, the actual people doing the work. Yeah, like the people that you know that actually make the games are never the issue. It's the it's the um, the decisions made in boardrooms. Yeah, well, not always. But anyways, I, I just think, I just want to say to anyone out there, don't don't wait until you're drinking rubbing alcohol to like get your life better, because that's that's where I was at, and um, you know, and you can start just very simply by like liking pages you actually like. Don't follow people you hate. Don't follow people just to spite them. <laughs> like, I lose half of my Twitter followers. Half of your Twitter followers are. So wait, I want to go back to the part where Star thinks shit posting is putting negativity into the world. Let's talk about that. <laughs> oh my gosh, we can talk about that at a later date because I think that we are. We have. A, I have another. Sorry. There's nothing wrong with shit posting. I'm talking about. Never mind. No, I know. I'm just. I'm just uh, inciting anger. No, exactly. Yeah, like Dreadix. I could make as a brand. I could make Dreadix P do certain memes that will. <laughs> Certainly get engaged. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't know, but exactly. Just start posting horror games are for nerds. Yeah, there's a difference. Between yeah, I just saw that yesterday. That like, like Kotaku posted an article about uh, the new Monster Hunter, where they were basically like, "It's confusing." Also, I literally didn't read any of the tutorials, and I jumped into one of the harder fights. And like, and it, it takes them like two thousand words to basically say like. I didn't pay attention and I was confused because of it, even though I knew Monster Hunter was like something that you have to like kind of ease your way into. Like it's not, you know, super friendly right up front. Um, and like, sure, they got that engagement. If you look at the comments, you look at the retweets and all that, you know, like people were like, well, I, I say this about Monster Hunter. and it's like, you know, they knew, they knew what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. People, I, I think people think it's like, oh, you know, journalists are so out of touch. They don't understand. It's no, they know exactly what they're. Doing. Oh yeah, you think they were harvesting rage clicks? Yeah. Oh I, yeah, for sure. Oh no, I mean, I've, I, I know, frankly, having been on the journalism side of things, a lot of them just are that bad at games. So, <laughs> um, sure, uh, and there are ways to talk about that that aren't. Hey, I'm going to talk about this brand new game. And make it explicitly clear that I didn't like read the tutorial. Literally, like one of, in the last paragraph, he's like, "I think maybe I'll go back and actually go through the tutorial <laughs> after after two thousand words of like bashing the game for not being, you know." And here I am getting kind of upset, like I'm playing into it. No, it's you know, it's, that's a good character arc. <laughs> um, 
No, there's a difference, there's a difference between, again, in a different conversation. There's a difference between actively harvesting rage clicks and um, not avoiding them. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I would say whoever published the article, like whoever gave the go-ahead, probably knew what they were yeah. doing, but whoever wrote it was probably kind or, of... Yeah, or there are a number of cases where you see people post an article that's not terribly, you know, uh, controversial or whatever, and then the headline, which, you know, they didn't pick, you know, or, or the headline gets adjusted to be much more confrontational or divisive. And then, you know, I've definitely seen, you know, game journalists go like, uh, sorry, I didn't pick that headline. <laughs> and if you read the article, it's much more, yeah, you know, level-headed than that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, no, I know it's not always the writer. Yeah, no, I mean, it's writers are usually good-natured. It's the editor-in-chief that sucks. Um, it's much like myself. I will, I, I actually take all of Jesse's <laughs> jokes out of his articles just to make them look better. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. yeah, just because I want I want the power. Um, anyways. <laughs> that's, that's why I'm not funny. Not because of any other reason. Because, because I'm being... Uh, uh, Foiled. Being held back. My Ted's nasty <laughs> Yeah, Jesse and I actually work really well together, and I'll give him I'll give him this point. Um Jesse is very naturally funny, and I'm uh, a better uh like uh long form writer. He's a better short form writer. Um so he comes up with these like really funny ideas. And we've done this like a few times, like as, well, coming up in the script for the Dread X collection. Jesse comes to me and he's like, here's like 14 funny ideas I have, and then I'll like flush them out. And we work really well together like that because I wouldn't have had those ideas in the first place. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, find, find the positive. Uh... Hmm? Oh, I was going to say, looking forward to hearing those in the game. Yep. Okay. Well, uh, we got to get going, though, because uh, uh, Star and I have a staff meeting coming up. So um, anyways, uh, Nate, um, we didn't talk much about the launcher, but I think that uh, you were correct to say that it is more of a game this time than in any previous collection. Um, I'm incredibly proud of the work that we did on it. Um, Same, yeah. Yeah, um, and uh, I will talk to you later when we have more uh, bug fixes to do. Because <laughs> Nate and I are currently in the process of going through the game a thousand times to try to smooth it out. So, uh, oh yeah, iteration. It's that uh -huh. uh, pre-launch last few uh, weeks of fix. So, but I am, yeah, I'm really excited. To, um, I'm, I'm proud of the work. Like it's, it kind of broke new ground for me in a number of ways, uh, and I'm, I'm really excited to see people get their hands on it yeah me too and uh you know honestly if you uh you know did, nate why don't you go ahead and real quick tell people where they can find you um all right so my twitter if you want the positive and the shit posting no um my twitter is ludodrome which is l-u-d-o-d-r-o-m-e i have to think about that for a second it'll be in the description um, yep uh and then um my my own like developer kind of handle is just read at games. So if you go to read at games .io or search for read at games on steam or something like that, you will find uh, my stuff. Yes, you will. Um, and then, you know, if you want to follow us, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at dreadxp underscore, uh, you know, if, and if you Google dreadxp, you should find us pretty easily. You can find us on the website. Uh, we'll be having fun, fun new stuff on the website pretty soon. So, you know, keep an eye out for that. Um, and, you know, of course you can always go wishlist the game on steam. Uh, Dreadx Collection, The Hunt. Uh, you can, you know, the Steam page is up. You can go wishlist it, please do. And uh, you can check it out when it comes out on April 13th. So, uh, anyways, um, you know, we've got to get going to another meeting here. But thank you so much for joining us, Nate. It was lovely talking to you. Thank you. And I will, uh, all of you at, at, at home, wherever you're watching this on SoundCloud or I don't, I don't know where the podcasts are hosted, uh, go ahead and like, subscribe, ring that bell. Uh, give us a super like. I don't know where super like is still a thing. Oh wait, no, that was is it is that a Tinder thing or is that a
YouTube thing. That's a Tinder thing. Well, do both. <laughs> why I had no idea what you were talking about. Uh, <laughs> of course, we are on. We're on Tinder. Yeah. Well. Uh, and Bumble. <laughs> Grinder. Um. Anyways. Uh. Yeah. I'll talk to you all soon. And uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, to those at home, bye. 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 This is.